As we come to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father, we depend utterly upon your word that it would inform our lives and be a means of grace to us. So I pray that you would cause it to do that work in us, which is well-pleasing in your sight for us, that we would hear it, that it would be planted deep in us, we even rooted in it, that we may bear the fruit of Christ, that we may be built up, that we may be established in the faith, and that we may be forever grateful this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Colossians in chapter 2, please. Colossians chapter 2. I want to read just a couple of verses. I read them a minute ago. They, they, they're the heading to our um, order of worship this morning. But they will be for us our focus, our text. Colossians 2, verse 6. Hear the word of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I want to take this sentence, these two verses really, uh, sort of by themselves, because they, they mark for us a transition uh, in this letter. Paul transitioning from where he's been, obviously, to where he's going. And, 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 but yet more than just a transition, uh, I, I think, give us a tremendous a word of encouragement, something that we can easily memorize, these couple of verses, this one sentence, these few phrases stuck together. And if we do that, we'll nourish, I think, our, our souls. But as I do that, I want to alert you to uh, something I want to say first, which follows from what I call my, my vegetable theory of eating, which is that you eat the vegetables first. Some of you may not do that. Some of you may actually like the vegetables. Uh, but I learned as a kid that if I ate the vegetables last, it meant I normally spend about three hours at the table because my mother wouldn't let me leave the table till I ate the vegetables. And if I let them last, not only did I not like them, but then they got cold and then they were even worse. So my theory always is life. You do first that which you don't want to do, that which might be the most tedious and then then you're done and then you can get on with it but what I also have been taught that with the vegetables that may be the most significant thing in the meal anyway and so even though it may have been the least hmm, tasty uh, enjoyable still it's the greatest blessing so I'm going to start out with some grammar all right to begin with just some grammar just some basic grammar I do this in honor of Jason who just passed his classics exam and all that KU, and so he knows this better than I do. But I just want to begin just a little bit of grammar from this sentence because you'll see a great deal, and it's not difficult. Three things. First, this. In the opening expression, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in. That expression, uh, received, as you received, it's past tense, it's aorist, it's past tense, and it's indicative. And then if you look at this expression, Walk in him, so walk. That walk is a present imperative. Woo-hoo. Now, past means it's already happened. So when we talk about having received Christ, it's already happened in the past, 
right? Indicative means it's a statement of fact. Something has happened which is true. This is a true statement. This has happened to you. You have received Christ. Boom. So it's happened. It's true of believers in Christ. It speaks of our conversion. You've received Christ. Then he writes, now walk in him. That's an imperative. That's a command. And it's what's called the present active. And so in Greek, the present tense means that it's continual, I mean it's always in the present, it's always happening. Every time you read it, it should be happening. It's present, it's now. So if you read it a minute ago, it was now then. If you read it five minutes from now, it's now then. So it's continuing on. Now the reason I mention that little bit of grammar is it keeps us from being legalists and moralists. A legalist is a person who says, if I do this, then I will be accepted. If I do this, then this will be true of me. A moralist says, I need to do these things, and I can do them in my own strength. This little expression keeps us from both those things. Because it says, you, you walk, you obey, not so that you can become something, but you walk and obey, you live in Christ because of what has already taken place. Something has happened. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now you walk. All right? So that's what keeps us from being legalists. We don't walk so that we can receive. We've received and then from him, from what he's already done, then we live that out. And we're not moralists either. It isn't that just that God comes with these flat out commands and says, walk, obey Christ, period. You can do that. No, he says, no, no. First something must happen to you. And in you, that's the receiving Christ Jesus, the Lord. That makes sense. So the Bible's set up that way. And we must read it that way, else we become legalists or moralists. Else we become thinking that, that we become acceptable to God because of what we do, as opposed to doing because of who he's made us to be. Very different. Very different. And it keeps us becoming moralists and just reading the commands and gritting our teeth and saying, okay, now I need to go out and do that to prove to God that I'm worthy of him. No, 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 no. He says, I want you to do this because of what I've already done in you. Your doing comes from who you are. We live in this true spirituality, if you will, of this expression in Philippians in chapter 2. Verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So just to always bear that in mind, that when you receive a command, God gives you that command not so that you can prove yourself acceptable to him, but he gives you that command because of that command is now consistent with who you are, who, you, who he's made you to be. So as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, happened, now walk in him. Right? Second point of grammar takes up these last three little verbs, rooted, built up, actually four, rooted, built up, established, and abounding. Now I want to take up just the next three. Rooted, uh, built up, and established. Rooted is a perfect passive participle. You're impressed, aren't you? Perfect passive participle. Now nobody knows what that means. Okay, uh, What it means is 
And it's, these are all participles, meaning that they help us understand how we're to walk. So our walking is described by our being rooted and built up and established and abounding in thanksgiving. So that's connection there. But this perfect passive participle means, again, it's, it's, it's sort of established. Something has happened. We have been rooted, or we could translate this as having been rooted, now do this. So there's a sense in which Paul's saying, okay, you've received Christ, now walk in him. Having been rooted, that is, our receiving of Christ roots us in him. Now I want to tell you how to live. And these other participles uh, are, are active, meaning that, uh, that and, and they're in the they're active, meaning that they're, they're continual. They're things that's going to happen in the future and continuing on. So we're rooted in him, and now we're being built up. Now we're being established, right? So if you take that first one, we're, we've received Christ Jesus the Lord, now we walk in him. We've been rooted, and now we're being built up, and now we're being established in him, all right? Second point of grammar. Third point of grammar is that these last four little verbs, participles, this rooted, being built up, being established, abounding in thanksgiving. I'm sorry, not abounding in thanksgiving. Just these three are passive, which means that someone is doing them to us and through us. It isn't that we do nothing, but our doing is always in response to this. Again, it's being built up. He says, listen, if you've been rooted in him, then you will be being built up. In other words, if you take a plant and root it well in the soil, it will grow. Why? Because it's rooted and rooted well. If you've been rooted in Christ, he says, you will then, in the course of your life, what you should expect to see, what is the normal Christian life, is that what you will expect to see is that you will be being built up, growing, maturing. And you will find yourself being established in the faith or confirmed in the faith. To establish one is to, is to mean that they're at home there. People talk about being established in the community. What does that mean? It means that that's your home. That people look at you and say, yeah, you're from there. That's where you live. To be established in the faith means to be able to look at yourself and other people look at you and say, that's where you live. You live in the faith of Jesus. And you see, our lives are, because we're rooted, are always then being built up, maturing in him, and always then being established, what you should expect to see over the course of your life, what you should experience over the course of your life. And you may not see this day to day. We never see improvement day to day. But we see over, over, over time that, oh, yes, because I've been rooted, now I'm being built up. I see it. Ten years ago, I would have never reacted like that. Five years ago, I would have never understood it like that. But I'm being built up. I'm growing up. Ten years ago, people would have never said, well, yeah, I know that person is a solid follower of Christ. But now I'm being established in him. And even ten years ago, I might not have been so secure in my own faith, but I'm being established in him. And I see that. I'm growing in that. And then finally, the last, we're to abound in thanksgiving. And that's something that flows from us. That's something that comes from us. And that is continual as well. Okay?
Does that help? Just, just kind of to, to put, I mean, I've just given you all of the faith right there. Just in some grammar, right? We believe this stuff. It's in the Bible. But this is how we ferret it out. All right? We aren't legalists. We aren't moralists. We live from God, from what he does in us. Having received Christ Jesus the Lord, we walk in him. We're commanded to walk in him. And then you see, being rooted, having been rooted in him, our walk, because we've received him, having been rooted in him, now we're growing up. We're being built up. We're being established in the faith. And knowing that, and you see, and living that, causes us to abound in thanksgiving. Now, this little expression too, this little sentence, is kind of a bookend. Uh, you, you might remember back in Colossians in chapter 1, Paul prayed for them and he, he laid out his prayer for them. And let me read that prayer and notice how familiar it is, how, how, how similar it is to, to what we've just read in chapter 2. Verse 9 of chapter 1, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Same kind of thing. Although here Paul's praying it, there he's commanding it. In chapter 2, he's commanding that they walk on the basis of having received Christ. In chapter 1, he's praying that they walk on the basis of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, we know that the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding really is to know Christ. And so there he puts it to be filled with the knowledge of God's will according to all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And in chapter 2, he says, just cuts to the chase, having received Christ, now walk this way. And then notice how he goes on in his prayer. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, bearing fruits in, bearing fruits in every good work, another participle, but I won't go into that again, bearing fruits in every good work. He says, what happens to plants that are rooted? They bear fruit. And so he says, all right, having been rooted, oh, you'll bear fruit. And then he says, praise, that they will be increasing in the knowledge of God that is being built up in him. They'll continue to grow in him and to know him better. So he prays that that be the effect. And he says, well, this will be the effect because you've been rooted in him. So you'll be built up. And then verse 11, he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. It's a long way of saying that you'll be established in the faith according to that which you've been taught. So he says, he prays for them that, um, that they would be strengthened, that they'd have power so that they'd be able to endure whatever happens, so that they would be patient with joy in every circumstance. And then he says, that will happen. I've prayed that for you, but I know that will happen because you've been rooted in him. And if you've been rooted in him, then you'll be established in the faith according to what you've taught. And then he ends that prayer as he ends his exhortation in chapter 2, verse 7, by saying, giving thanks to the Father. So in a sense, if, if you look at just Paul's writing, this is kind of a bookend. He's, he's taken us from this prayer, and then he's talked to us about Jesus, and then he's now ended by saying, all right, what I prayed, I know will happen. I know it will happen because you've received Christ Jesus the Lord and you've been rooted in him. And now he's going to 
progress beginning in verse 8, which takes us to next week, so I won't go there. But he'll then tell us what it means to be rooted in Christ, what that really means, what Christ has done so that we know that we're rooted in him. And then he'll tell us what it means to be built up in him and to be established in him, how we're to live. He'll speak to us of the way of the cross, which is putting to death. He'll speak to us of the way of resurrection, and that is living in the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And then he'll give us specific examples about particular situations on how to live like that. That's what's to come. But I want to linger here just a moment in verses 6 and 7. This little expression, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ Jesus the Lord, that's, he's the one we've received. He's well defined by these terms, these names, these titles, Christ Jesus the Lord. Uh, in the New Testament, we hear the word Christ. It really is the Greek for the Old Testament Messiah. Same word simply means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, as we read through the Old Testament and we speak of those who are anointed, we think of prophets and priests and kings. They were anointed. They were set apart. Oil was put upon their head and they were said, okay, you're different than everyone else. You have particular roles, particular functions under God in the community. Prophets came to speak the very truth of God. They would, they would lay out the promises of God's, God's covenant with his people They would speak the the blessings and the curses of that covenant. And the prophets would come and speak the truth of God. They would represent God to the people, speak the truth of God to the people. And they would reveal to the people even their sins. And they would warn them and speak of the judgment of God. But they would also come and speak of the restoration and the blessing of God. These prophets who would come, they would represent God to the people and speak truth to the people. Infallible, inerrant truth, trustworthy sayings to the people. These anointed ones would not only be prophets, but they would be priests as well, another class of people in ancient Israel. And priests would represent the people before God. The prophets represented God to the people. The priests would represent people to God. They would stand before God on behalf of the people. Thus, they would have to represent holiness before God. And they would pray for the people. They would be the intercessors from the people between the people and God, to bring the needs of the people before the throne of God. They would be intercessors. They would bring sacrifice so that the people's sins could be forgiven. These priests intercede, represent the people before God. Kings would come, and they would be the righteous representative of God's rule on the earth. That's what the ancient kings were to be, these anointed kings. They were to come... And under God, to execute righteousness, carry out righteousness on the face of the earth. That's what they were doing. And in the midst of that, to protect God's people and to provide for God's people. To make sure that God's people were, were functioning and working in a fashion that was just and right and merciful and good. Now, when Jesus comes and we say that we receive him as Christ, it says that we receive him as the anointed one. 
as the prophet, as the one who comes to speak that which is true about God. He's the perfect representative of God to us. He's the perfect one to come and speak and live and be the truth. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he says that everything that I say, everything that I do, everything that I am is trustworthy. You can bank on me. You need none other. And you sort of get Paul's point here. Because Paul's concerned about this church in Colossae, that there are false teachers coming saying, you need more than Christ. Oh, it's good to begin there, but, 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 but you need to add to him. And he's going to say, no, no, you don't. He's sufficient. He's the prophet. You need no other information. No one else is more trustworthy than he. You can trust what he says about God. You can trust what he did on the cross to reveal the holiness of God to reveal the judgment of God, but also to reveal the grace of God and to achieve salvation for all who would believe in him. You can trust him. He's the prophet. He's truth. And so when you receive Christ, you're saying, yes, I receive that. That is true. I live upon that. I trust in him and him alone. That which he reveals about God, I believe. That which anyone else reveals about God, contrary to what Jesus believes, I do not believe. Because he is the prophet. And when Jesus says the way of salvation is through him and through him alone, then I believe that. To receive Christ means I believe that. And that's my stake. That's my life. Nothing else do I hold. I trust none other. And he comes as priest, this anointed Christ, Jesus the Lord. And we receive him as Christ, we receive him as our high priest, meaning that he's the one who represents us before God. I go to God through none other. I call upon God except through him because he, I acknowledge, is my priest. He's the Holy One. He stands before God on my behalf. I stand in him. I accept, I receive, I trust his sacrifice on my behalf that I might be forgiven my sins I rely upon him to intercede for me I trust none other and he comes as king when we receive Christ we receive this one who is the king who is the ruler of all who is the one who is sovereign over all things who is the one I am to follow to yield to to bow to to obey because he is the king We receive Christ Jesus. Jesus, that expression of humanity. It was the angel came to Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When we think of Jesus, we think of God in the flesh. We think of this one who is like me. We think this one who empathizes with me because he's like me. He knows me. He stands for me as me. He's taken punishment of my sin upon himself. I trust him and him alone. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Ah, that summarizes all of it. He's he's the Lord. He's the Lord of glory. Um, He's the one to whom we bow. We don't simply take Jesus as our Savior and not Lord because that would be to receive another because he is who he is, Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, now, now walk in him. He is the Lord of glory, I read for our call to worship this morning a great expression of Jesus 
being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We bow to him exclusively. Now we have another, a number of lords in our life, uh, sort of small L lords, like parents, and bosses, and governments. And I'll say the second service when my eldest daughter is here, and eldest daughters, um, they become bosses as well, <laughs> lords with a little L. Um, but we only obey them because the Lord with the capital L, Jesus, says that we ought to. Why do children obey parents? Uh, I'll put it differently. Why should children obey parents? Because Jesus said so. It wasn't our idea. It isn't something we take pride in by saying, well, that's just simply how humanity ought to be. That's simply how life should be. No, we obey parents because the Lord has given us that command. He tells us that's how we are to live. Why should we respect, honor, submit to our government? Only because the Lord has said that we should, and thus we follow him. So every small L Lord can only be a small L Lord if the capital L Lord has ordained that small L Lord to exist in our lives. He's the Lord of all. There's a sentence from the scripture that I think about often that I wish I could say blesses me, sometimes plagues me. But it's from the lips of Jesus. And he says this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you do not do the things which I say? When one receives Christ Jesus, the Lord, then one is to follow after him. Paul says, that's what you've done. You've received Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now, I want to just take a moment. I don't want to take a long time because this could be confusing. Take a little moment. This is a very technical kind of day for me. I'm sorry. It was that kind of week. Um, just look at this little word, received. Now, if this were a, a, a 21st century evangelical Christian, we would probably translate this. Therefore, as you accepted Christ Jesus, the Lord. And I want to just draw a distinction, because I think there's a difference here. A distinction between receive and accept. Now, accept is what's in our vernacular a great deal. I accepted Christ. But just to let you know, the Bible never puts it that way. The Bible only puts it that we've received Christ. For instance, in John in chapter 1, um, verse 11. John writes, he, that is, Jesus came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John very deliberately doesn't say, but to all accepted him, but says received him. Now there's a fine difference there that I think could be helpful to us by way of attitude. When we use the word accept, it means implies that the one we've accepted has met our standard. 
Whereas to receive means that we simply welcome this one because he's worthy to be received. That I don't judge him, he just simply comes. For instance, when a new baby is born, we wrap that baby in a receiving blanket, not an accepting blanket. <laughs> Wouldn't it be bad? Well, we're not taking that one home. That one's in the rejection blanket. Uh, we're only taking this one home that's in the accepting blanket. No, it's a receiving blanket. Why? Because simply because that child has been born into your family, you receive them. It isn't that you say, well, I'm going to get an eight on their APSCAR score or whatever. I'm not going to take them home. Uh, it's not high enough. I won't, I won't take that. Um, no, we receive them because they're worthy to be received simply because they've been born. At a wedding, there's a receiving line, not an accepting line. It isn't you get to the, sorry, I can't accept you. But simply because they're guests at the wedding, you receive them. When a king would come to visit you, you wouldn't stand at the door and someone announce the king's presence and say, would you accept him? The reason being, the king is the king, and thus the king has every right to be there, and is worthy simply to be received. And so when we think of Jesus, great care must be taken, should be taken, just in our own hearts. And I'm not being critical. I've used the accept Christ line and all that. But just to think about that. The Bible uses the word receive, and probably for good reason, because never are we given the impression that Jesus is under our scrutiny, to be accepted by us, meeting our standards. He's to be received. So deliberately, Paul says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. How could you do any other than receive a Lord? It wouldn't accept him. A.W. Tozer, who's walked, who walked closer to Christ than most, put it like this. He said, you see, to tell a man to accept Christ, while it's relatively right, it yet, if not carefully explained, makes Christ to stand hat in hand, waiting on my pleasure, neatly awaiting my verdict on him. It makes him apply to me instead of my applying to him. Just that sense. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, can you feel the humility in that expression? He showed up. He was delivered. Um, I welcomed him. Why? Because he's Christ Jesus the Lord. This gets us away from this whole idea, well, maybe I will accept him as my savior, but not as my Lord. That says I'm going to evaluate part of him, his saving grace, and I like that, so I'll take that, but I'll reject the fact that he's the Lord of glory. You can't do that with Jesus, because he is Christ Jesus, the Lord, period. He's not standing hat in hand, saying, well, if you'll only take 80%, that's fine. Say, no, 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 you receive him all of who he is because he's worthy to be received, then we're to walk in him. Now very quickly Paul says that we're rooted in him and thus being rooted in him. The, the great news for us is as we walk in him knowing that we've received him therefore are rooted in him means that we will grow. That doesn't mean we do nothing about that. God uses various means to enable us to grow. He provides for us the scripture. He, he calls us to pray. He gives us church uh, so that we can together grow and hold one another accountable. He gives gifts to the body so that we can receive from one another and grow in the midst of that. And we're to take advantage of all of those. But the point is, they will work because we've been rooted. Have you ever tried to take a plant that isn't rooted and you can water it, you can fertilize it, you can talk to it, you can sing to it, you can do whatever you want to it, bathe its leaves in milk, 
But it's not going to live. Those things only work if it's rooted. You've been rooted. Thus, these means will work. Take advantage of them. They will work. You will find yourself being built up in him because you've been rooted. So take that confidence. Know this too. Don't despair. Don't trust another just because things seem like they're not going well. You're not growing fast enough. If you're in him, if you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, and you're taking advantage of the means by which he gives you, trust that. Paul was afraid in this church, we're afraid in every generation, that the newest and the brightest and the best thing is going to come along and say, if you only do this, if you go to this conference, if you listen to this tape, if you, if you fast 40 days in a row, if you do these things, then you're going to grow magnificently. Paul says, no, no, no. As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord walk in him, rooted in him, being built up. It comes from being rooted in him. So you realize that when someone taxes you, you're rooted in Christ. Be built up in him and be patient. When someone hurts you, you're rooted in Christ. Thus, you can forgive. You're rooted in Christ. When difficulties come, trust him and you will grow. And being established in him just as you were taught. This establishment comes, again, as we're taught in him. And his teaching is always confirmed in us. As we go through various experiences, again, not to highlight my own life, but just as we've gone through this past experience with Karen's situation. And what have you learned? In one sense, nothing new. We knew everything that we've been taught. We just know it better. We just know it better. Is God good? Yes. Is life hard? Yes. (laughs) Is he faithful? Yes. Is he gracious? Yes. Is he merciful? Yes. Are his people good? Yes. We know that better than we've ever known it before. Uh, Some experiences that we have are such that it may take 10 years to know that better. But we needn't bail out on him because having received Christ Jesus the Lord, we're to walk in him having been rooted We're being built up and being established. Trust him. And all that, you see, causes us to abound in thanksgiving. I was thinking this week, because we've all been thinking about it this week, (laughs) as we come to Vacation Bible School, coming up tomorrow, just that little expression, as you've been taught, I was thinking about our children. This is another opportunity, a significant opportunity for us to teach them that they might receive Christ Jesus the Lord and be rooted in him. The theme this week, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but is, is, is the Apostle Peter in a sense. It's, it's about him, but not really. It's really about God. It's really about Jesus. But it's, it's about the life of Peter as he's walking through this. So I'm just giving you this little insight, moms and dads, so when your kids come home, they'll be able to tell you. Uh, and you'll say, oh, yeah, I know all about that. Um, but see, Peter received Christ Jesus the Lord and walked in him. He was rooted and built up and established. 
according to all the things that he knew, all the things that he had been taught, and he was one who lived then in thanksgiving. On day one, the kids are going to be introduced to Peter and, and the fact that Jesus comes to Peter and calls him that he might be received, not accepted, received, because Peter realizes this is the Messiah. How can I do other than bow before him and follow his call? Sovereignly, Christ Jesus, the Lord, calls Peter and says, come and follow me, and Peter and Peter does. Then, of course, how is it that, that, that any of us, how it is that Peter would even know to be able to receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, only if Christ Jesus the Lord is delivered, if it's revealed. And one day Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And a number of answers are given. And Peter finally says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you among men, Peter. That was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. That's how we come to know him and we receive him because he's revealed to us by his word, by the Holy Spirit. And then there's a time that Peter is on a boat and Jesus bids him to come and follow, walk on the water. Peter wants to. And so Jesus bids Peter to come and, and you know the story, Peter gets out and he looks at Jesus, his eyes are on Jesus and everything seems well. He's walking in him and then he casts his eyes on the water that's waving and moving and he sinks. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Don't look elsewhere. You look elsewhere, you'll sink. Jesus is gracious to pick us up, get us back in the boat, but that's not where we wanted to be. We wanted to be on the water walking with him, but he said, no, no, no. Trust me and me alone. Peter's life, the kids will learn on day four, was not all peaches and cream. There were times of deep and grievous failure. He denied Jesus, but Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is sovereign over that whole circumstance and situation. He told Peter about it. He said, listen, Satan has come to me and asked that you be sifted like wheat, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you return, I want you to teach your brothers. So the night moves on, that night that Jesus was betrayed. Peter betrays Jesus and denies Jesus three times. Weeps bitterly when he sees the faith of Christ on the third one. But then later we see Peter. We see Peter in the book of Acts and we see Peter transformed. How'd that happen? He saw the risen Christ. In that little expression that we, that we, that passage we read this morning out of 1 Corinthians 15, is a wonderful little sweet expression. Paul's listing all the ones to whom Jesus showed himself. And just that little expression, and he appeared to Cephas or to Peter. This one who had denied him, yet Jesus comes to him, makes certain, no, I want you to see me, Peter. And then he meets with Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Each time, Peter says, yes, I do. And Jesus restores him, and in that restoration, he's transformed. That's how we're teaching our kids. That's what they will learn this week from us. That's what we know to be true. He's Christ Jesus, the Lord. We're to walk in him. And we know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
he took bread after giving thanks, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me the same way he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The apostle tells us as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? We're declaring that he's Christ Jesus, the Lord. He is the prophet. He's come to reveal truth to us about God and we can depend and rely. He he revealed that through his lips, through his life and his death and his resurrection. What he shouts to us through that is that there's forgiveness of sins for those who trust in me because I've taken your sin upon myself, died that you might live. Now, walk from that. He's the prophet. He's our priest, our one who even today lives to guarantee that all of this is true. He's the king. He rules and reigns over all of this salvation. We declare that. We have received Christ Jesus the Lord. We're to walk in him, being rooted, built up, established, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me ask you to take a moment and bow your heads and and reflect upon your life. Nothing ooky spooky, just think about your life. Ask yourself this, have I received Christ Jesus, the Lord? One sense we'll answer yes to that, but, but all of us who know that realize, yes, we've received him, but he's bigger than we even know. Are you rooted in him? Think about the course of your life. Can you say, yes, I I see where I'm being built up. I see where my faith is being established and confirmed. And yes, I am thankful.